today on Ag News Daily. The science is uncertain because the UC Davis study that was done has found inconclusive evidence of uh, lemongrass doing anything to methane. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mike. And we're also joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, what's going on in your part of the world? Well, we've had quite a bit of rain here in central Iowa, which we absolutely do not need at this point, I don't think. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it's interesting. I was talking to a couple of friends of mine, a few from southwest Iowa and then a a fellow up in northeast Iowa. And yesterday and this morning, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware, large scale rain events came through really the entire upper Midwest. We saw wetness from Kansas all the way up through Michigan uh, yesterday and this morning. And for a lot of folks, this was much needed moisture. They were they were getting very, very dry. And uh, came through at the right time. You know, we definitely saw that have an impact on the markets, to be sure. But mm-hmm. it's good news for those growers who were, uh, you know, getting uh, getting a little nervous about their corn crop out there. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's uh, very varied across the country, like you're saying there. And I mean, we didn't see terrible finishes, I suppose, today in the markets. No, not bad. And we did get some more positive news from China. It does certainly look as though China is willing to at least make the right steps, I suppose, to meet their phase one purchase agreements. Earlier today, it was announced that uh, China bought 389,000 tons of soybeans and 132,000 tons of corn. This is on top of their huge purchases yesterday and continuing from their big purchases a week ago. And again, I believe, let me double check. Yeah, all of the purchases today were for new crop corn and soybeans. So, you know, the trade is is keeping it a little uh, burden hand, you know, the China China could still cancel, but uh, at least we're getting some sales on the books. Now it's just a matter of getting them shipped out. The other question I had when looking at the markets today, it seems like uh, wheat has been pretty strong. Yeah, wheat has just been going nuts. And so I've been following it and I am not a wheat market expert, but I've mm-hmm. uh, been following along with a lot of folks who you know live and breathe this market. It seems to be driven primarily by concerns over in Europe. Both Europe and the Ukraine are having some issues with both the quantity of their crop. The, uh, the crop size keeps coming in a little smaller than anticipated, but also quality. The, the stuff that's out there doesn't seem to be of the best quality. So as other countries, notably Egypt and Jordan, have both been tendering orders to uh, make some wheat purchases on the international scene, it doesn't appear as though the Europeans or the former Soviet Union states, the FSU states, are going to be as able to meet these and probably, especially as the dollar has continued to weaken, we'll see some of these purchases come to the U.S. And that has been a, a big reason why we've seen wheat kind of catch fire. Ah, okay. That's good. I hadn't heard all that. Yeah. So that's, and that's, you know, the 10,000 foot. I'm sure there's a lot mm-hmm. more going on under the scenes, but that's the the broad strokes look at what's happening. There. Yeah. Well, to continue the market discussion, one reason we, you know, yeah. may see not only the corn and soybean markets reacting, maybe not as well as we'd like to see after Chinese demand. And uh, on the flip side of that bearish weather is what's being said by President Trump 
when it comes to trade negotiations with China. He again yesterday completely shut the door on any sort of a phase two trade negotiation, saying he doesn't want to talk to Beijing about trade because of the coronavirus pandemic. And it seems he is just not backing down on essentially blaming them for this coronavirus pandemic and outbreak. He said, you know, we made a great deal. He said, but as soon as the du- as the as soon as the deal was done, the ink wasn't even dry and they hit us with the plague. So he's definitely continuing to point the finger there and uh, doesn't sound like uh, he's too eager to reach out and have any sort of conversation with him, at least in the near term. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are going to have uh, have a, a tough Tough conversations with China going forward. You know, I think a big, and this is just my guess. So, folks, this is me speculating. Certainly haven't seen any of this in the news and certainly not from China. But my guess is China is making a lot of these purchases in the new crop rather than the old crop to do two things. One, if they're buying old crop corn and they're shipping immediately, we're going to see prices rally. And I don't think they want to give President Trump that victory. Another thing to consider, if China buys new crop corn and soybeans, they won't have to cancel those orders until post-election. So if it's President Biden come November, um, my guess would be he's going to be a little more conciliatory towards China. We'll probably see China follow through. They actually ship these uh, these products that they've purchased. If it's President Trump and if the clash is still going on between D.C. and Beijing, I would imagine the odds of them canceling these orders climbs quite mm, a bit. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Just a guess. But we know yeah. the Chinese like to play those kind of games. Oh, for sure. Well, let's see. We've got some interesting news out today from Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Each month, they publish their flash report looking at sales of equipment. And the headline number makes agriculture look like it's in a really good place. Tractor sales were up 33% in the month of June. Combine sales were up 37%, both of those numbers from a year ago. That sounds really positive. It sounds like we're going in the right direction. However, we dig into the numbers a little bit, and it's a bit more concerning. For the month of June, the highest or the hottest selling tractors, I should say, were two-wheel drive tractors under 40 horsepower. Sales of those were up 3% from last year. Um, Tractors between 40 and 100 horsepower were up 28%, so solid gains in both of those categories. However, larger, higher horsepower tractors were not nearly as lucky. Two-wheel drive tractors over 100 horsepower were up 3%, while four-wheel drive tractors were down 34% year over year. So this tells me that a lot of what we're seeing in terms of tractor sales is probably more geared towards the uh, weekend farmer, the, the hobby farmer, mm. so to speak, the folks with a, with a couple acres who can get around with a 37-horsepower tractor. Maybe they need a 60-horsepower tractor making some hay, that kind of stuff, because that's where the gains really same, seem to be congregated. And I think it makes sense that we'd be seeing those folks buying more equipment this year if they're forced to be spending more time on their on their hobby farm, you know, they're they're working from home, perhaps they're not going into the office near as much. They're they're goofing around on their properties. Well, makes sense. You want to have a have a little tractor to get some work done. The the fact that we're not seeing higher horsepower models move tells me that agriculture is still being a little cautious 
um, in holding on to cash given the uncertainties. Combine sales were up 37% for the month. We are down 2% year over year on combine sales. So yeah, that jives with what I'm thinking. Farmers are holding on to some cash. They're not as willing to get out there and write the checks for big stuff um, despite some of the uh, assistance from this administration. Mm, okay. Hobby farms. I like that one. Yeah. That's just a guess. Yeah. You're, you're making, you've made lots of guesses today, haven't you? I've got lots of guesses. <laughs> you've got lots of theories. I do. Have, I have lots of theories. That's a much better word for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what other headlines are you keeping an eye on? Let's see. Well, I know this is a big one that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on the podcast. And Ashton, I know you've done some digging into this as well. But yesterday, social media blew up with a new ad put together by Burger King. And the ag community is not taking it very well. So we'll be sure to share it on our social media at Ag News Daily. But it's Mason Ramsey, for those of you familiar with the child country slash yodeler is the face of this new Burger King ad talking about cattle and their methane or global gas emissions, methane emissions. And Burger King is talking about in this ad that their cows from now on are going to be fed lemongrass to reduce the emissions. So it has caused quite the upset on Twitter. Ashton, I know you've been following it pretty closely as well. What else do you have to add to that? Um, I, I think I'm going to leave my opinion out of it a little bit and kind of wait for our conversation later to talk, you know, really specific details, I think. But I think uh, what they were trying to do, what Burger King was trying to do might might be good, but I don't really think that the ad was completely um, made from science. And so we're going to talk to about that a little bit more later in the podcast, but I I think that there's just a lot to depict from the ad. But again, I think I'm just going to try and leave my opinion out of it and just look at the facts. Yeah, folks, stay tuned. We're going to be digging into the claims of the commercial a little bit later on. Is lemongrass actually beneficial for cattle methane production? And I think having watched the commercial, I've got two thoughts. And Delaney and Ash, Mm -hmm. you guys can probably help me out with at least the first one. The kid, the kid in this commercial, is he a famous kid? Like, should I know him? Yes, he is. He was, he got famous maybe a year or two years ago. Mason Ramsey, he like was yodeling in a Walmart and became a virtual or a viral video. And so then he had like his own record label. He's been the opening act for some pretty big country named singers. He's just a cute little kid, but I was really surprised that he was taking such a mm, political or, you know, controversial stance. Well, I mean, in his defense, well, I, I, I don't remember any of that, so I'm, I'm not terribly clicked on pop culture stuff. But I will defend the kid. My guess, what he's taking in this commercial, Delaney, and I've seen the commercial, I, I, I'm guessing that Mason is taking a paycheck, and that is oh, what yeah. he's taking. I, I don't know that he's taking much of a stance. He's a kid trying to put away some money for his college fund. You know, I was concerned that it was like a child actor being forced into this by his parents or whatever. So anyway, okay, glad we got the kid thing. <laughs> The second issue, and I'm I'm sure our conversation later on in the podcast will shed some light on this, but the commercial com- routinely shows cows farting. And mm-hmm. anybody who knows anything about cattle biology or ruminant biology in particular knows that methane isn't necessarily released when cows fart. It's when they chew their cud that they release methane. So, I mean, 
that's like the simplest scientific fact they couldn't even get that right it's still cute to sing about cows burping and that's where the emissions <laughs> come from that they're concerned about why they made it about cows farting just shows how ignorant burger king was so yeah on that aspect alone this commercial frustrated me yeah i mean honestly mm, i don't really think i've ever i've definitely seen cows burp but farting i really can't say i've seen that happen too frequently either do you stand around with your head near a cow's anus, Delaney? <laughs> well, no, but I'm just thinking back, like, when we showed livestock and stuff, you know, we showed cattle, and I'm just trying to think back, like, did I have, do I ever remember them farting? Well, Which, I guess, all, was a long time ago, too. And it could all be silent farts. I, I'm not oh, all that familiar sure. with Sure, that's true. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our interview or discussion in detail of this commercial and the claims made in it, I do have a piece of news that I think our leaders, need, readers, listeners need to be aware of. And this is something that's been brewing for a little while. It's a lot less fun than cow farts. Um, this is ethanol market manipulation. Green Plains, who is one of the largest producers of ethanol, has sued ADM, another very large ethanol production, saying that ADM has been manipulating the price of ethanol to profit from its positions in the derivatives markets. Basically, they're alleging that uh, ADM has been effectively uh, cheating, I guess, in the cash market by timing sales close to the end of the trading day so they can spike prices so that their uh, their derivatives can pay off. And uh, they do this, according to Green Plains, by flooding the terminal at Argo with their barges that chokes off competitors' supplies, which influences the price of the spot market. And then the price of the spot market, of course, influences the futures market. And um, this has, lawsuit has been filed in Nebraska. It does sound like it's going to go first. ADM told Reuters that they do not comment on pending litigation. So we will see how this all pans out. Um, basically, Green Plains is just looking for damages. They're probably going to ask for ways for ADM to reformat the way it markets ethanol if it is found to be guilty. But other than that, they're just looking for damage. So this could be interesting to keep an eye on as it moves through the court system. All right. You keep an eye on that. You're our new resident whatever. Yeah, I got some legal theories. We'll put to the test. Okay, great. More theories. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, guys, um, I'm really excited to get to our interview. Should we hit the markets and wrap this thing up? Let's do it. All right, folks. And the markets are green today in the cranes. Corn higher, September up three quarters of a penny at 326 and three quarters. December up a half at 334 and a quarter. Over in soybeans, August up eight and three quarter cents today, closed at 886 and three quarters. November new crop up five and three quarters, closed at 883 and a quarter. Over in Chicago, wheat, September up 23 and three quarter cents on the day, closed at 550 and a half. December up 21 to finish at 553 and three quarters. Looking over to the world of livestock, we've got more green on the screen today. August live cattle up $2.50, biggest move we've seen to the upside in quite some time. Closed today at one hundred one thirty. October up $1.45 at one hundred four fifty-five. In feeder cattle, the August contract was up $2.70 today to finish at one thirty-nine forty-two half. September up $2.75, closing at one thirty-nine fifty-five. Lean Hogs August contract up 22 and a half cents at 50.15. October the only splash of red on the screen down 25 cents to close at 49.42 and a half. Looking over at the dairy markets, a little bit of weakness today. First uh, real losses we've seen in dairy in some time. The July class three milk contract down two cents at 24.32. August, however, off 75 cents on the day. 
closing at 22.34. Without further ado, let's dig into bovine greenhouse gas emissions with today's interview. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. This week's episode is all about livestock farm security. Unfortunately, we're all familiar with stories about livestock farms that have been targeted by people and groups with bad intentions. So how can you reduce the risk of having you and your farm targeted? We ask an ag attorney that very question in this episode of The Spokesman Speaks. You can find and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Well, as mentioned before in the podcast, we have Frank Mittliner on today to talk to us about methane gases, greenhouse gases, all of that good stuff as we talked about earlier with the Burger King ad. And Frank is a UC Davis professor and air quality specialist. So he has a lot of knowledge on this subject. So Frank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. Dr. Mittler, off the top of the, the page here, we've got to have this conversation. Burger King aired this ad. They're adding lemongrass into their cattle's or into cattle's diets to help reduce their methane emissions. Let's talk about the science of that first. What are your thoughts here? How big of a deal, first and foremost, are methane emissions from cattle when it comes to greenhouse gases? So cattle do produce a sizable chunk of enteric methane, and that's methane that's belched out through the mouth on the one hand and also from the manure. Um, what's really good about this is that um, methane is part of a natural cycle, so-called biogenic carbon cycle. The carbon in the methane originates in atmospheric CO2, and during photosynthesis, that CO2 goes into plants. We all learned that in school, right? Sunlight, water, and CO2 is what plants need to grow. And that atmospheric CO2 that goes into the plants during photosynthesis becomes carbohydrates, such as cellulose or starch. And then a cow eats that carbohydrate, plant material, and belches out some methane and or produces some methane from the manure. And that methane stays then in the atmosphere for 10 years, after which it's destroyed and going back into atmospheric CO2. So in other words, in a cattle cycle, in the so-called biogenic carbon cycle, um, carbon is cycling from atmospheric CO2 to plant carbohydrates to methane to atmospheric CO2 again. It's going around and around and around. We are not adding additional new carbon to the atmosphere, hence no additional warming, unless we're growing herds. If we keep our livestock herds constant, or if we shrink them, then we are not adding to additional warming. Interesting. So really, I mean, over the past 40 years, we have seen in particular the cattle herd you know, decrease in size fairly substantially. Of course, it varies you know, depending on where we're at in the cattle cycle. But really, 
I mean, livestock has become a smaller portion of greenhouse gas emissions over the past, call it, 60 years. There's no, there's no doubt. Uh, on the dairy side, uh, back in 1950, we had 25 million dairy cows. Today, we have 9 million. So we went from 25 to 9 million. We're producing 60% more milk with this much smaller herd. On the beef side, back in 1970, we had 140 million beef cattle, one for zero. Today, we have 90 million beef cattle, so we have 50 million fewer beef cattle, but we are producing the same amount of beef with our 90 million today as we used to with 140 million back in 1970. So sizable improvements for sure. Fascinating. And I did also want to ask, when do we think about methane production? I, I guess I'm not a scientist. I'm a history major. I'm a very... Uh, low information person when it comes to science, the methane is a result of the chemical what equation in the cow's rumen and then breaking down the carbon, that's where it comes from? Methane is always produced when you have oxygen-deprived environments, such as swamps or manure digesters or uh, the rumen of a cow. So you cannot have any oxygen in there because once you have oxygen, the microbes that produce the methane will die. You have to have oxygen-deprived environments. And under those oxygen-deprived environments, methanogens, so-called methanogens, will thrive. And these are the methane-forming methane microbes. So uh, wherever you don't have oxygen, you, you will have methane produced. Interesting stuff there. And uh, I kind of want to take it back to the lemongrass study. And so in the Burger King ad, they claim that there's a 33% reduction through a lemongrass feed additive. And you mentioned on Twitter that a colleague of yours conducted a lemongrass study, but the findings were inconclusive. But you did also mention a study from a lab doing a seaweed additive. So could you just expand on that for a little bit? Uh, seaweed is a natural compound that grows, as the name indicates, in the ocean. And um, when fed to cattle, um, it has a active ingredient that is um, anti uh, anti methane. So, uh, so the, the methane forming microbes are um, destroyed by it. Um, now, any kind of technologies that's and any kind of technology that's out there has not just intended, but also unintended consequences. In the case of seaweed, an unintended consequence would be that cows don't like to eat it. You have to put it into molasses and kind of finagle it into the cow because she does not want to eat it. Um, there are other issues, which is uh, one of them is that it's not the seaweed that you just pluck out of the ocean at the California coast, but it grows only in certain tropical regions under the very uh, specific conditions. And at this point, it's cost prohibited. You could not even get a ton, not one ton of that stuff. So while from an experimental perspective, we have done research finding essential oils and enzyme disruptors and seaweed and other things uh, to be effective, that does not mean that they are uh, available uh, for the real world at this at this point. So the idea that uh, Burger King is going to be able to work with all of their producers to incorporate lemongrass into their cattle diet, uh, 
I guess, what's your thought? Is this just a marketing gimmick hanging on a one thin, tenuous study? Has it been peer reviewed? What's your take on the science of the claims in this commercial? I think that the, the science is uncertain because the UC Davis study that was done has found inconclusive evidence of uh, lemongrass doing anything to methane. And the study in Mexico that was done, that's the second one with the 33% reduction, um, has not been peer-reviewed, uh, has been summarized in a report. So there's no peer-reviewed evidence of this stuff doing anything at this point. Um, that's not to say that it doesn't do anything. It just means that it has not been documented to do anything. And so if I were a responsible person within Burger King, I would have definitely waited until I would have uh, the documentation to show the effectiveness. Uh, what I took away from their um, marketing uh, campaign was that they were sure that it works, that scientists confirmed it, and that they are good to go. And uh, that's not the case. I mean, they, they should have. This was premature, for sure. Now, when you look at the state of the industry itself, the industry of raising cattle for beef production, you mentioned some of the studies that have been ongoing, whether it's seaweed, essential oils, perhaps lemongrass. You know, this commercial does seem to highlight the fact that there is always room to improve in any sort of production practice. But as you mentioned, everything comes with unintended consequences. When you look at the state of, in particular, intensive cattle feeding today, the feedlot production of cattle, where do you see the biggest gains for this type of environmental you know, action to take place? Is it in feed additives? Is it in reducing the number of, of trips around the feed yard in the tractor? What's going to make the cattle industry that much better from a greenhouse gases perspective? So what I will tell you now will be, um, will be non-intuitive, okay? Um, when you think of the entire life cycle of cattle, <clears throat> and they spent the last four months in a feedlot. Prior to that, uh, the first six, seven months they spent with their mom, with a, with a cow on pasture. Then they spent with their peers, again, on pasture for about a year or so. And um, during that time that they're on pasture, that is time when they produce the majority of methane throughout their lifetime. Because... The methane formation occurs in the rumen of these animals, in their large uh, first stomach uh, compartment, and the methane-forming microbes require roughage in the diet. Roughage meaning fiber, okay? The more roughage of fibers in the diet, the happier they are and the more methane they produce. They can only thrive when they have roughage or fiber. When they then go into the feedlot for the last four months of their lives, they have very little roughage in their diet. The vast majority of their diet is corn or similar concentrates. And as a result, feedlot cattle produce actually very little greenhouse gases, very little greenhouse gases. So the whole Burger King thing here is really uh, aiming at the feedlot phase of cattle production, leaving out the pasture phase, which is much longer and actually which produces much more methane. So feedlots are not the greatest. They are the smallest contributor to the carbon footprint of a burger. With or without feed edit, by far the smallest contributor to the carbon footprint of, of beef. 
And so uh, that complicates things because people see a photo of a feedlot and they say, oh, this, this must have a significant environmental footprint because there are so many animals. But in reality, the majority of the carbon footprint of beef occurs long before they reach the feedlot. Fascinating. So really, from a greenhouse gas perspective of the environment, feeding cattle in feedlots is the most environmentally friendly way to do it. From a methane perspective, that's the case. From a methane perspective, that's the case. Because the methanogens do not do not like concentrate feeds such as corn. They need roughage and they don't have it. If you go if you go to a feedlot and you look for animals ruminating, meaning bringing uh, their feedback up, which is a normal rumination process, and then chewing it again, you will hardly see any of that activity in those animals because they don't need it. Because they produce, they consume so much fewer roughage and therefore they ruminate so much less. And therefore they belch out much less gas. Fascinating. Now, uh, Dr. Mittlerner, when you look out at this discussion that's being had right now, at Burger King now, of course, is being prompted on the national stage for farmers, cattle producers that are out there. What are some of the key ways we can have conversations with our consumers if our consumers bring this issue up? Um, what are your, your you know top tips for talking about this stuff in a way that everybody can understand? So first of all, People are concerned about their carbon footprint, about their environmental footprint. But let's just be, uh, let's just be clear that the carbon footprint of our entire agricultural sector in the United States is about nine or 10%. Half of that is approximately plants. The other half is approximately uh, livestock, all species. Beef cattle alone in the United States contribute a total to 3% of overall greenhouse gases total greenhouse gases in this country. Fossil fuel-related activities, such as driving and flying and so on, um, uh, make up 80% of the carbon footprint of our country, 8-0. So um, while what we eat has an impact, it's uh, it's kind of minuscule compared to the things that we do uh, around transportation and power production and use and uh, how we build homes and so on. So this is really important to understand. If you were to become a vegan, a complete vegan, you will reduce your carbon footprint by 2.6%. Okay, by 2.6%. You would reduce your carbon footprint by a total of 0.8 tons of greenhouse gases per year. And just to give you a reference point, if you were to fly to Europe, then one, one round trip from the US to Europe would generate 1.6 tons of greenhouse gases. So going vegan for one year would save 0.8 tons, and one flight to Europe will cost 1.6 tons, twice as much. So uh, just gives you a general ballpark here, okay? So I, I understand that people get excited about this, uh, but these are mainly the folks that want to get rid of animal agriculture that are um, tooting this and uh, exaggerating grossly. Well, Frank, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. We just have one more question before we let you go. How can our listeners keep up with you and uh, your great Twitter thread about the Burger King ad? So my uh, Twitter handle is ghgguru, uh, ghgguru, and uh, I have a blog as well, uh, which is ghgguru.com. 
um, ghguru.clear.ucdavis, and um, and you will find us. Um, we have a webpage, uh, clear.ucdavis.edu, and uh, you'll find all the stuff uh, on there. Well, awesome, Frank. This is great information, and it's very educational, so I really appreciate you educating us today. You are very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Frank chatting us through that commercial. It's certainly going to be controversial. I've been enjoying watching people's theories or comments on social media for sure. Yeah. And you know, the real folks to win are the folks who are selling lemongrass. Mm, yeah, no kidding. Well, if you want to stay clued in on what is happening in the world of agriculture, stay tuned to the Ag News Daily podcast. You can check out our past episodes by visiting our website at agnewsdaily.com. While you're there, you can also connect with the other podcasts on the Global Ag Network platform. And you can also find us on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.